Welcome to episode 86 of the Running on Ohm podcast. This is your host, Julia Hanlon, and I'm excited to have Joseph Kaber, runner, founder of the Yaya Village and the Yaya Girls Running Program on the podcast. It has been over a month since I last recorded a Running on Ohm podcast. This is because I've been in Ethiopia and getting settled into my new life here, working and living with the Yaya Girls Running Program, a trimester school for adolescent Ethiopian female runners focused on gender empowerment, English language learning, and running. I'm excited to have one of the co-founders of the Yaya Girls Running Program, Joseph, on the podcast as the start of my Yaya series, which will feature different people who I meet in Ethiopia on a weekly basis. Let me tell you a little bit about Joseph's unique story. Joseph was born in Ethiopia and moved to Canada at the age of 11. He had tremendous success in the Canadian running scene, where at the age of 16 set the then North American 1,500-meter high school record, and in 1993 was the Canadian cross-country national champion. After his time running at Simon Fraser University, he launched Net Nations Communications Incorporated, a Vancouver-based web hosting company. He has since then returned to Ethiopia with his three children and continued to develop various businesses and charities in his home country, including the Yaya Village Hotel, which is a premier high-altitude training center and home to the Yaya Girls Running Program. If you would like to follow my journey while I'm here in Ethiopia, please like Running on Oman Facebook, find Running on Oman Instagram, or read my weekly blog posts on runningonom.com. Let's jump into the show with Joseph. In this episode, Joseph tells the story of how he got into running, from his first race to how running kept him out of trouble in his youth. He recounts his 1996 Canadian cross-country national champion win and how unexpected it was. Joseph discusses running competitively at Simon Fraser University with only three days a week of running training due to his injury-prone history. How the lessons he learned from running helped him establish his successful Net Nations communications. Joseph's return to Ethiopia and his journey starting the Yaya Village Hotel. Why he chose to focus on helping female runners with the Yaya Girls Running Program instead of male runners. His unique insider-outsider perspective on why Ethiopian runners are among the best in the world. The power of letting go and finding one's work-life balance. Joseph shares two of his mentors, including his coach, George Glupe, and fellow Ethiopian runner, Haile Gebrselassie. Joseph reveals races on his bucket list and upcoming projects. All this and more on this episode of the Running on Ohm podcast. Oh. Welcome, Joseph, to the Running on Ohm podcast. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. So I get to be sitting with Joseph in Addis, in Ethiopia, in Joseph's office. And Joseph, I have had the pleasure of connecting with through the Yaya Girls, which he's one of the co-founders of, and I have the pleasure of working for this semester. But before we jump into kind of the Yaya Girls and the Yaya Village, which you have really created such an incredible change in this community here, I want to understand your story. And so take me back in time to the first time ever that you laced up your running shoes and why you did. Uh, It started back uh, when I was... 13 years old, and at that time, uh, at school, we, did, we had a competition uh, for the cross-country team for that semester, and uh, I've never run before, never trained, but um, my coach, uh, my uh, gym teacher thought I should compete because I'm from Ethiopia, and chances are I'm probably a good runner. <laughs> so I competed in a two-kilometer race, and um, I've never 
heard of any running strategy or <laughs> anything like that. So I just run as hard as I can. And I was leading for a long time. I died, and, but I finished in third place. And that kind of got me interested in running and maybe, maybe I had a talent for running. And so that was in Canada. So just for listeners who don't know, you were born in Ethiopia. And at what age did you move to Canada? I moved when I was 11 years old. Okay, great. So two years after that is when I started my running career. And after that first race where you obviously, and some innate talent was visible, how did you stay with running? I mean, what kept you at it? Um, well, first of all, running was a big help in my life. Not just, uh, you know, I enjoyed running, but it really uh, got me to be better at school. I was able to get more friends. <laughs> Being famous, obviously, is good. And it just seems like my whole life dramatically has changed when I became a good runner. And all of a sudden, um, everything just worked out really well. So it was a good reason to keep on running. <laughs> and take me to running in high school. I know you had set the 1,500-meter um, record in Canada. Is that correct? Uh, yeah. So I run... Uh, in Montreal for uh, three years and then I moved uh, to Ontario which was a bigger uh, running uh, province in Canada and so I had better competition and I was not winning races that easily so I was really challenged to run better and uh, my last year of high school I was able to run 345 for the 1500 meters which was the high school North American high school record at that time what was that race like? I mean, do you remember during that race being like, wow, I'm doing something that's really extraordinary, or were you just running your heart out and not aware of what you were doing? Um, yeah, no, actually, I was not aware that it was a record or that I was aiming for the record. It was just, uh, there was a, a track in Montreal at uh, McGill University. It's very famous for producing fast times. So somebody told me, come and try it, you know, you can do personal best so my aim was just to run a personal best and we had a perfect pacing it just happens that the people that were in front of me were just like one or two seconds ahead of me so I was able to follow them and uh, it was good everything the wind everything was perfect <laughs> I still remember it now <laughs> and tell me a little bit more about what how running kind of changed your life in putting you on more of a safe track I know you have described to me off air that running really changed you and kind of socially getting you out of trouble. What was that story? Yeah, so being an immigrant uh, from Ethiopia and uh, didn't speak the language, uh, the local language properly, which is French at that time, <clears throat> um, you naturally gravitate towards, you know, the unseen side of uh, society. And uh, some of the characters that I was, I was uh, hanging out with were not the best kind. Um, so, you know, my life wasn't uh, the best. I was uh, getting kicked out of school occasionally and uh, police will visit once in a while <laughs> to see what I've been up to. And so when I was uh, in that situation, it really, I had no idea where my life was going. But the moment I competed in a race and I did well and I had coaches supporting me, the school teachers advising me, uh, just the whole world just opened up. It was just a completely different world. And um, thanks for running. I was able to have a very productive life so far. And unfortunately, some of the friends that I had in those early days that didn't have the same kind of chance, uh, when I look at their history, it's not as good. And uh, a lot of them 
uh, actually alive today because of the, you know, the drug and other problems that they had. Wow, yeah. I mean, it's incredible for you how running not only was something that you were good at, but it was also a total life, life changer. Yeah, and I advise this to any parents, and I do the same thing for my kids, uh, as early as possible, like get them involved in the sports. And not just necessarily running, but in sports in general, so that they have something they love and something they can focus on uh, outside of just their friends and uh, the neighborhood. Um, it really, I mean, there's so many different ways that running helps you, uh, not just to get you out of uh, bad spots, but also uh, it makes you busy, you know, because when kids are bored, they don't have anything to do, that's when usually the troubles happen. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I mean, it teaches the values of hard work and discipline, which you very clearly embody. Absolutely. When you went to college, did you have dreams going into college of pursuing running professionally? And tell me a little bit about especially that 1993 cross-country champion when you were crowned the Canadian national cross-country champion. How did that, were you thinking, mm -hmm. okay, this is what I'm going to do after college? Uh, I really didn't know. I mean... Obviously, as a runner, my biggest ambition is to make the Olympics and uh, maybe win a medal or two. <laughs> that, that, that was my early ambition. But because of injuries and uh, life commitments and so on, that didn't happen. And, uh, uh, but I always thought that if I don't succeed in uh, running, or at least I don't achieve my ultimate goal in running, I was pretty confident that I would do something else that would be just as satisfying for me mm. and uh, so after my uh, cross-country win uh, 1993 which was my biggest achievement so far um, I got injured and I didn't continue running but right away I started a business which became very successful in Canada and uh, yeah the rest <laughs> and that 1993 win do you remember what it felt like during that race to finish it and be like wow this is the race thus far in my life that has stood out maybe as the most successful? It was, it was actually very surprising. Uh, a lot of the runners in that competition were much, much uh, faster than I was. They had better PVs, uh, more experience and older. I was only 22 at that time, so uh, actually 21. So a lot of them were older than me, like in their late 20s. You know, Some of them made the Olympics. Some of them have Canadian records. <laughs> and I'm just like a junior runner that just joined in and so everyone was just shocked at how I ended up running so naturally when that happened to me I was really, really happy and uh, it gave me the confidence that maybe there's bigger things in my life but you know I think what running I know listeners might be kind of interested in is obviously I know you battled injury and that was one of the reasons why you weren't able to pursue running perhaps professionally mm -hmm. and make the Olympic team but even in college when you were training at a really high level you weren't running every day, which is really unusual for most runners who are so successful. Tell me a little bit more about like the details of your training at that time. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, most of my teammates were running at least once a day. Some were running twice a day. I've only trained three times a week. Uh, and occasionally when I feel like you know I can go a little further, I try to run a fourth day. And every time I do that, I get injured. So I've always just done three times a week, but I complemented that with uh, gym, the bike, uh, colitis, you know, that kind of stuff, the different uh, cross-training methods that, uh, that were available at that time. Um, I used it, so I ended up working out uh, six times a week. I only take it one day off 
uh, from exercise. Uh, sometimes I go for three hour bike rides. To me, that, that's like my long run. <laughs> um, and it, to me, it was successful. I was able to, to do that, you know, I, I get a high level without running every day. I love that because I think that's really a lesson that I think a lot of people could benefit from just because not everyone's body is able to handle the high impact that running running is that every day, but you obviously still can be a really successful runner finding your own balance, which you definitely did achieve. Yeah, over the years, even now, I meet uh, really high-level athletes uh, as a junior that were expected to become you know, uh, Olympic champions, future Olympic champions, but because of injuries, they... Uh, quit or they doing a lot less than what they should be doing. Uh, so the conclusion I came up with is the biggest challenge in uh, a runner is actually injuries uh, or you know being injury free or recovering from injuries. That's the biggest challenge. I don't think talent or other factors are as big because you were you can overcome that by just working hard. But injuries you don't overcome by working hard. You know, by working smart, and uh, that's uh, the biggest challenge. So if if you can uh, keep injury free by running three times a week, and I think for most people that's doable. Mm. Uh, doing it every day is a little bit more challenging, but I think, I can't imagine some of the big athletes that I see right now, they just run three times a week. I can't imagine they'll get injured. Um, yeah. And it, I, I only got injured when I was running that extra day on the fourth day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. And then when you graduated after that 1993 champion, in 1996 was when you started Net Nation Communications, which had tremendous success in Canada. At that time, what was the role of running in your life? I mean, you've obviously come full circle coming back to Ethiopia with the Yaya Village and the Yaya Girls, but how did you keep running in your life then? Uh, the role that running had was, first of all, it taught me discipline <clears throat> and patience. Uh, you know, success in business didn't come easy, and running was not that easy either. So I was not afraid to work hard. I was not afraid to work 16 hours, day after day, day after day. So that really helped me, uh, running helped me uh, to have those uh, qualities that are really required for business. Uh, but on top of that, it also gave me confidence. It's, uh, I'm no longer afraid to go and talk with the big shots. Um, you know, I was at the World Championships. I hang out with, the, with the, some of the most successful athletes in the world. That really gave you a lot of confidence. Uh, so it was very helpful. Running, even though I stopped competing, it didn't really stop uh, my life. It kept going. And plus, I went recreationally uh, because I enjoyed it so much. I didn't completely stop. I just stopped competing, but I kept on running. Definitely. So when did you decide that you wanted to return back to Ethiopia and come back to your community here where, where you're mm -hmm. from? How did that happen for you to make that transition from having such a successful business in Canada to being like, I'm ready to come back? Yeah. So the so nation was sold uh, 19, in 2003. And after that, I was basically uh, had enough money to say, you know, I don't have to do any work for the rest of my life. I can just, you know, do nothing, retire. <laughs> but it was not in my blood. <laughs> I cannot do nothing. Um, I needed to do something. But this time, it wasn't about making more money. It was more about combining my passion for running, my desire to help the community, but also to make that sustainable. Uh, so that it generates money. So Yaya Village was a concept that I had for a while. 
uh, I just didn't know how to make it happen. It took me a while to make it happen, come up with a plan. But it was the perfect vehicle for me. Now, in one shot, I can enjoy my running as much as I want. I can get all the famous athletes around the world to come and be there, and I can help them in any way I can. But at the same time, this business that's making money is supporting uh, community in a specific way that uh, I had uh, thought about, which was uh, to help the most vulnerable uh, part of our society, you know, the young girls that didn't have a lot of opportunity in Ethiopia. Uh, a lot of them, they get uh, married at a young age. Uh, they don't get much education. So the Council of the AI Girls came together with the business right from the start. Yeah, so tell me a little bit more about the start of Yaya Girls. I mean, when was the Yaya Village, I understand, the hotel, the training center, that obviously had seeds planted in you before you returned. But with the Yaya Girls, why did you pick girls to focus on in this society? Why not the Yaya men? Yeah, good question. I mean, uh, and often when I read about uh, nonprofit charity uh, work being done in Ethiopia, uh, one thing I learned is that <clears throat> if you help a woman or a girl to be successful, it actually has a multiplying effect. Um, the whole society benefits somehow. The children, uh, even uh, the men in the house, actually benefit from having an educated woman uh, inside the household. And so I always thought that you know I need to make my effort uh, become very effective. You know, if, if I'm going to invest, let's say, $1, I want that to be stretched and help as much as possible. So with the Yaya Girls, one, helping the girls uh, was very effective. And uh, the other thing is, when you help uh, create a role, a role model for the society, other people will also uh, be affected by that success. You know, it's one thing to help one person, but if you can help that one person become a role model for thousands of other villagers, then they all look up to that girl and say, hey, you know, I can do that too. So that's why, for me, I chose uh, the girls as a model. Take me to one moment in the past three years since Yaya Girls has been founded, of a moment where you're really proud of the work that you were doing, whether it was being in the story of an actual girl or someone in the community saying, wow, this is great work you're doing, some moment that really reaffirmed all the hard work that it takes to run an organization like this. Yeah, there's, there's many, but the one that stands up is uh, uh, we had a girl called Meseret. She was uh, uh, with us for about a year at, at the program. And when she came in, she hardly spoke uh, any Amharic. Uh, she spoke only her local language, which I didn't understand, so we didn't you know, communicate too much. But I run with her and I can see she beat me all the time. But <laughs> communication-wise, uh, she didn't have any uh, employable skills, uh, so she was very shy, hardly said any words. So after one year of uh, learning English, uh, training with the, the coach uh, that we hired, and all the opportunities that we gave her uh, to upgrade herself, she was able to go to Europe, you know, speak enough English to communicate with airport officials, you know, <laughs> the people that's gonna, that were taking her to the, uh, to the race, and she actually did very well. She came third in a race. She came back, and she was able to communicate with us not only in Amharic but also in English. And to me, that was that's a model that I can say, look, you know, this is where she was a year ago, and now where we brought her. Yeah, and I got to meet her actually one time on a run. I did not run with her. She is a one twelve half marathoner, so no joke, <laughs> runner out there. 
But obviously, Yaya Girls has been a huge, incredible part of her life into leading her where she is now. Yeah, so that, that is to me what, uh, and I hope that her success not only helped uh, change her life, but also the people around that area. Yeah, for so sure. Look after her. Now, being in the United States, and I'm sure you get this question in Canada a lot, you know, why are Ethiopian runners so good? People think there's this secret here, and that we're supposed to understand the secret from watching it, but you have a different kind of insider outsider perspective. So I'm curious to hear from you, what is your response to that question? Why do you think Ethiopian runners are among the most successful in the world? I don't think there's a single answer to that. There's probably multiple reasons. Uh, the easiest ones is obviously Ethiopians live in a high altitude area. Um, their body structure is suited for long distance running. Uh, the diet, the low fat uh, diet, and uh, the injera that we eat. Uh, so those are the, the common ones that uh, people say that makes Ethiopian runners. But if you look at when did Ethiopians become, or even Africans become very successful in running, uh, you'll see that actually 1960, uh, Billy that he's, he's the first African to win an Olympic gold medal. And then it's, he unleashed basically a wave of uh, success for Africans. And so to me, I think when they get a role model showing them, look, yes, you can compete with the Europeans, you can compete with the rest of the world, it gives you a confidence to say, yes, I can do it. The same way when I started, you know, when the teacher told me, you're Ethiopian, you can, you know, you can win. I, I, start, I start believing it. I'm like, really? Okay. <laughs> so to me, that that's probably had the, the biggest fundamental effect. Otherwise, they would have won before that. Why would they win before that? So to me, that's the biggest... So it's uh, that mental belief and strength. Mental belief. Yeah, and one other thing that I mentioned is that Running is one of the few things any any person can do. You don't have to be rich, you know, you don't have to live in certain places, you can just get up and run. You know, you can run barefoot if you don't have the running shoes. So it's also suitable for the type of uh, economic situation that people live in in Ethiopia. Uh, and most of the famous runners, they come from a specific part of the country where they live just out of agriculture. And uh, it's, your option is basically either become a famous runner and get out of uh, perpetual poverty or you go back and live in destitute. So sometimes that tough choice gives you the, the confidence, uh, at least the motivation to go and uh, do as well as you can. Yeah, what is that like for runners that come back to this country who have had so much success? I mean, I know you've worked with Haile, with the Yaya Village, and you obviously know many other successful Ethiopian runners, but what do you think their experience is like coming back here after having acquired so much money? It is dramatic. I mean, here's someone that was farming, didn't speak any language, uh, didn't have any concept of the outside world, but all of a sudden they go to Europe and they win a race, they bring money, and now they're at the top of the world, basically. And so a lot of the smart ones, they make dramatic changes in their life, uh, not only their life, but also the village they come from, their relatives, they open schools, they uh, open, uh, build, you know, they construct buildings and uh, start businesses. Uh, that's usually what the runners do here. And Haile is one of the first few ones that really got runners. Uh, it was a big role model for other runners, so they know how to use their money. They just most of the runners just do what Haile was doing you know, because he did it successfully. Um, so it it is life changing. It changed the country as well. It changed the country image. You know. Because of them, now I can have Yaya Village and becoming a high-speed training center, and now we're making money out of that. So it's great for the community, creates employment, 
Yeah, the effects are multiple. Multiple, yes. Now, in your own life, I mean, you're a father to three beautiful children. You have numerous businesses. You have your own health and working out. What is your way of how do you balance it all? What do you say is kind of your tip for parents and workers out there to try to balance this? Yeah, I think it's, uh, that's the, the word is balance. And it's not simple. I, I, I cannot lie. I mean, sometimes I'm going to one extreme and pushing myself to the other extreme in order to balance. It's not always in the center. <laughs> Life is not always in the center. So you always have to shift back and forth. So it is a struggle. But at the end, I think uh, what helped me was actually my younger sister. You know, one time she told me I was struggling a little bit with the stress. And she said, you know, you can't control everything. You know, sometimes you just have to let it go and believe that some higher power is going to make things work. Sometimes it helps. For whether it's true or not, I don't know. But what believing that actually helped me. I was able to let go and say, you know what, let things happen as they should. And sometimes things work out really well. So my advice is sometimes you just gotta let it go. <laughs> I like that. Yes, yeah. I definitely like that. Now, in your own life, you obviously have had encounters with many different coaches, other athletes, I'm sure family members, friends. Who would you consider has been the biggest mentor for you in your own life in any area you'd like to speak uh, to? So, when I was in Canada, certainly my uh, former coach, uh, George Gluppi, uh, fortunately has passed away a few years ago, but he was actually my mentor for many, many years. And the, the reason... He was a big uh, help in my life was, you know, from the time that I was uh, no one, uh, he believed I can do uh, great things. And, uh, you know, he didn't really benefit financially from what I did, but he just had pleasure in seeing this Ethiopian guy progress through life, you know, see him success in not only running, but in business, always giving me positive feedback. Uh, so that, that was very important for me. And after I came back to Ethiopia, I think it was has been my biggest mentor. He um, is the one that actually gave me the confidence to get going uh, with the project that I'm doing right now. Because it's a big risk, you know, you come to a third world country, investing most of your money, um, you get scared sometimes, you know, <laughs> what's going to happen if it doesn't work out. And when I went and talked to Heidi before the project started, he said, you know, go ahead, you can do it, you can succeed. I'll be your partner, and any way I can help you, uh, I will be there. So I said, hey, you know, if I'm going to get this kind of support from the greatest runner in the world, I have no reason to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. Now, in your own life, are there any races that are still on your bucket list? I know running, obviously, is something you do now more for pleasure rather than a competitive sense, but are there any places or races that you really want to do? Uh, there are. Nothing specific, but I think when I have the opportunity over the next few years, my plan is to travel to different parts of the world and uh, do interesting races, you know, like uh, the Conrad uh, Marathon in South Africa or, you know, uh, trail races in Europe, uh, really exotic places. So I, I'm, I'm trying to combine. I'm, I'm always the type of guy that likes to combine things because I want to kill two birds with one stone. <laughs> so if I can combine my, you know, uh, dis discovery, my desire for discovery uh, with my passion for running, uh, that's something I'd like to explore in the future. Yeah. 
Now, I know you have met a lot of great people in your life, but who would be one person, living or dead, that you would love to go out to coffee with and sit down and pick their brain? Uh, in the future? Yeah. <laughs> um, good question. <laughs> I haven't thought too much about that. Um, yeah. I would say probably like a, a very old philosopher, like from the, you know, the few centuries back. I would like to really see or hear their perspective in life uh, and compare to what we have right now. Because mm. I'm always curious what people experienced before all this technology, you know, is life fundamentally different than it was 300 years ago? You know, that, that, that's always something that interests me. Yeah. <laughs> so I can't tell you a name, but yeah, so I'm from those era. Cool, I like that. Now, looking ahead to the next year or two years, are there any upcoming projects that you're really excited about? Um, my plan <clears throat> is uh, to expand Gaia Village and uh, have additional facilities uh, to make it really a world-class uh, resort. But at the same time, as I was saying before, you know, this project is supposed to uh, combine my passion for uh, running, helping people, the community, and also make money to make it sustainable. So on one hand, yeah, I want to expand it, but I also want to find a way to make the Yaya girls uh, a lot bigger so that we can help a lot more girls. And right now we have six girls per semester, but I would love to have maybe 20, 30, 40. Um, in order to do that, we need to get partners. Uh, that would be one of my uh, goals. Yeah, I'm excited to watch this unfold. To close up our interview, I have a few fun either-or questions. Okay. Tea or coffee? Coffee. Mountains or oceans? Mountains. Sunrise or sunset? Sunrise. And the last one is track or cross-country? Cross-country. Cross-country <laughs> all the way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much, Joseph, for spending the time and sharing your story on the Running on Own podcast. It's a pleasure. Um, thanks for listening to episode 86 of the Running on Om podcast with Joseph Kuber, runner, founder of the Yaya Village and the Yaya Girls Running Program. If you would like to follow my journey while I'm here in Ethiopia, please like Running on Om on Facebook, find Running on Om on Instagram, or read my weekly blog posts on runningonom.com. This is your host, Julia Hanlon, and I hope you have a beautiful day.